0: Blog
1: TALK RADIO Good morning everyone, this is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio show. My guests for this morning are Andrea and Keston Art Doll. They are founders of the Delaney Art Doll Foundation. They are also advocates of early intervention for family expecting special needs children. Andrea Kasten and I will be having a candid conversation about their uplifting and inspiring memoir, Saving Delaney from Surrogacy to Family. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you two doing this morning?
2: We're awesome. Good morning, Johnny. Excited to be on your show. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. It is great and pleasure to have both of you on the air with me. I have to apologize. I'm coming down with something here, so my voice is rather coarse, but I wouldn't miss it for this morning to have you ladies on the air with me. Saving Delaney from Segregacy to Family is a terrific book. It is well written. In reading the book, three themes came to mind. The power of relationship, the nature of love, and the meaning of life. These are the Theme that I really treasure very much, and I could tell you that you two put your heart and soul in the book. So, thank you for sharing your story with the world. Congratulations!
2: Thank Thank you, that's really sweet of you to say.
1: Let us start by getting to know you two a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment.
2: Well, I guess we'll start with me. This is Keston. Um, you know. To, now, I'm, today, I'm, I'm 50 years old, and um, I grew up in Southern California in a very conservative Orange County, and, uh, you know, I was a, a typical 80s girl, and um, ended up becoming a, a lead singer in a rock band, and I'm a kind of a speaker myself, and I'm out there and outgoing, and lucky thing I met beautiful Andrea, who I'll let her take over and tell you about her her youth. Uh, well, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised also in California, but in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, my parents divorced when I was 11, and mm-hmm. I, um, I have been married before, and I have two children from that relationship, um, Jared and Juliana, who are 10 and 7. Um, and then I met Keston. You know, I have two children as well,
1: mm-hmm. so,
2: but my children are adults.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I was raised by my single mom
1: talking about growing up in the 80s the first thing came to mind when you talk about you and the band and so forth is Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun I just had to throw that in oh at my that.
2: goodness, I was more of the Led Zeppelin
1: <laughs> that's a little bit on the high end how's that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I love the
1: 80s fantastic what childhood experiences influence your outlook about life most?
2: Well, for me, this is Keston. for me, it was definitely my mother. My mom was single mom. She raised five children by herself during a time when she didn't get child support, and she never complained about not getting as much money as men. And we, we, my brothers and sisters and I will tell you, we never wanted for anything. Yeah. And I, it must have been a struggle for her. She had sometimes three jobs during Christmas just to get us Christmas presents. And um, she was just, you know, she, you know, Johnny, she was... She was like a starlet. She was beautiful mm-hmm. and elegant, yet a Renaissance woman of her time because she just she worked so hard. She was so freaking smart. Mm-hmm. So I just she influenced me. I, I I ended up growing up wanting to emulate her and being anything and everything like her. Mm-hmm. That was a big influence in my life.
1: In reading your book, one of the things that I gathered, you have a very strong mom, and it reminded me of my mom in Malaysia because. <laughs> I think that's the generation where there is that sort of a subtle shift from women being just in the kitchen to now I am woman, I have to take charge of myself. And, of course, in your case, her being a single mom, that she is the breadwinner of the family. She has responsibility for herself and also her children.
2: Right, with no help.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a tough
2: cookie, and she was beautiful. She looked like Grace Kelly.
1: Wonderful. How about you, Andrea?
2: Andrea had a different upbringing. She was raised by, you know, her her dad is mm-hmm. Swiss and her mom is Korean. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: uh, both both. Unemotional.
2: Yes. Yeah, I can say both my parents are very. Um, it just not not super emotional. They're not super affectionate. They're not really the type of people that will, you know, walk around and and praise you and. Her mom's like pretty. That her mom. Um, I. As they've gotten older, they've gotten better. But growing mm-hmm. up, um, I had kind of a very, uh, I guess, cold. And it hurts her to say that. but Because I, I absolutely love my parents, and I know that they just did the best that they could do. And that's mm-hmm. how they were brought. You know, right. Um, both, just my family on both sides are very private people. And mm-hmm. so I grew up being a very private person as well.
1: Well, from a Korean background, for your mom, I'm sure she's very reserved and very subdued in many ways. Yeah. So I I can relate to that, you know, from the the Asian culture, from that standpoint.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. And especially from that period, that generation, certainly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's different from today's generation, but certainly at that generation, she's a little bit more subdued and very reserved and so forth. So I can certainly understand. Yes. So... What life's epiphanies led you to to the realization that you are a lesbian?
2: Um, For me, Andrea, it uh, came about when I had everything that society tells you you need to be happy. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be married and you have to have kids and you have to have a house and a dog and a job, and, and I had all these things, and I still wasn't happy, and so I had to look inside myself and, and ask myself, you know, what is it going to take for me to be happy, and that was me living my true, authentic self, and so that's when I then came out as a lesbian. Mm. You, know, you know, Johnny, I'll tell you, this is Kesson, uh, that this is yeah. probably a very familiar story with a lot of women out there that become lesbians, especially later in life. You know, yeah. like Andre said, I, I had the same, pretty much the same experience. You know, I was married, I've been married a couple times, and I have two kids, yeah. and I was actually a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. And with me, it, it just dawned on me that my my best friends and my girlfriends, I just were, was so much more emotionally close to them than I was my husband's.
0: Really? And wow. I, I had a
2: terrible picker of men, by the way. But, um, <laughs> You just both did. You, you just realized, you know, my, my emotional connections are with women.
1: Yeah, and yeah. you
2: have to let it, if, if you're smart, you find out early and you let it go and you accept it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly, I understand that. One of the things that I like in reading your book, you talk about your mom sensed then, about you. And this comes back again to the idea that I've always believed our moms know everything about us because they basically watch us like a hawk. And then you ladies are moms and you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. You know, yeah, mom knows us more than we know ourselves sometimes.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, my mom was very cute about it.
1: <laughs> so how did you two meet?
2: Well, I was, uh, I was singing uh, in a rock band at a party. And God, this beautiful, long legged blonde walked in, and I mean, I didn't think anything of it because she's sixteen years younger than me, and I do not typically date yeah. younger people, but um she knew, and she she latched onto me fast, and mm-hmm. you know, who could resist that, really? So we met <laughs> when I was singing at a rock I was singing in a band, and and I think she liked that mhm,
1: mhm. <laughs> How about you, Andrea? What attracted you to Keston?
2: Well, gosh, she's gorgeous, and she's got this really awesome, confident personality. She's one of those people that is just innately cool, Mm -hmm. and uh, she just has this aura about her that really draws people in, and she's so sweet. (laughs) It's true. I'm not the only one. But uh, Keston has quite a big following because mm-hmm. she's just she's just beautiful and sweet and smart and wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the interesting part about when we talk about relationships, whether it's in the gay relationship or just a man-woman relationship, when it's all done, the beauty of it, I think in your case as well, is that you all have been with different people and then you realize that, okay, they always say, you know, there's a certain spark and then it just, sort of falters away right in this situation why is this relationship different and special
0: gosh because
2: you know we both um probably everything that we've been through together johnny Mm
0: -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm.
2: we have been through so much together and we've been together six years Mm -hmm. and delaney is a big bond but we are we are always have each other's backs and we really right and andrea will tell you this too um I am the yin to her yang, whereas I'm like the outgoing <laughs> one I'm out there. She's actually yeah. the technical one who puts everything together. Mm-hmm. And, I I mean, I would be lost without Andrea. She comes behind me and she takes care of everything and lifts me up. And hopefully I do the same for her. But we just, we really work well together. And we have a really great chemistry, mm-hmm. romantic chemistry too. Romantic chemistry is very passionate. Um And and like custom was saying, I mean, we really just complement each other so well. We make a great team. We love and admire each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and we make sure to support one another in whatever endeavors the other person has.
1: So that's probably what's missing maybe in past relationships. People have always asked me, how do you know that this is it? And to me, I think when you talk about the power of relationship is that you just somehow know that all the arrows are pointing north. So to speak,
0: right.
2: We we both had bad pickers in the past, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: particularly
2: mm-hmm. with um, men.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
2: I I, I got to tell you, Johnny, too. Another thing, another key thing for a relationship: have to keep that passion, and it's hard. I know because yeah. you get in a day rut and stress, and the baby on the table pouring the salt, and the dog trying to get out the dog door with his trash can lid on his head. I mean, that type of stuff is going to happen in everyday life, and but right. Relationships are work. And if you really have a true love and a true bond,
0: mm-hmm. gosh, don't
2: live it. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Takes, it takes commitment. And you really, like I said, passion is so important. And you have to have that romantic passion. You've got to make time for it. And don't go right. through the motion of, of, like, you know, making love. Go through the yeah. emotion.
1: Right, right.
2: That is the key.
1: Wonderful. The formulas you are sharing, it's got nothing to do with the gay relationship. It's about all relationships. To make it work, right. it, it takes two. It takes that synergy of oneness to make it work.
2: And coming from two women who've been in you know, relationships with men and women, right. we, can, we can test, you know, relationship is a relationship, period.
0: Right, right, it
2: right. It doesn't matter gay or straight. Right, right. you have all the same complaints about your husband as you do your wife. She leaves her socks on the floor, or
0: she doesn't,
2: <laughs> you know, she's messy. Yeah, right. She, right. You know, it's like it, it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. Your relationships are relationships, and they all have their issues, and you have to accept one another. That's true.
1: How did this subject of surrogacy come about?
2: Uh, well, we had gone to a party and we had met up with some friends and we were, you know, sh- I was showing—I hadn't seen them in a long time and I was showing them pictures of my kids and then they started talking about their trials and tribulations and trying to get pregnant. This was another lesbian couple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they told us they had been trying for six years and spent over a quarter of a million dollars and they had tried to even adopt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they were getting turned down because they were gay and you know, our heart just really broke for them. And I'm sure. looking at so, my family, and here I have two kids, and it was so easy for me. And I just felt like, wow, if I could make these women's dreams come true, how awesome would that be? Mm-hmm. At first, I was like, oh no, no, <laughs> because I mean, because you know, your first thought is, well, I don't want to be left with a baby. I'm 50. Right. I, I really didn't expect to, to start over again with the five and the seven-year-old at
0: right, the time,
2: right, right. but she said, she's like, yes, I'm going to be doing a really good thing, and then, sure. you know, I, I realized later she had a, she had a hidden skeleton in her closet, which she did not tell me about,
0: which is another <laughs> method
2: she had for doing surrogacy, which yeah. you know about, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I eventually, you know, how can you say no to someone who wants to do something right and good?
1: Sure, sure. So I
2: jumped on the back dragon too.
1: I love the book because it reminds me a lot in a way. Of course, this is surrogacy. It's a little bit different in my situation. But I was actually adopted at birth by my Malaysian mom. And she actually had experienced three miscarriages in her lifetime and finally adopted me. She actually had adopted someone else, a baby boy. Well, prior to adopting that baby boy, on her last miscarriage, she was actually seven months pregnant and she had a late um, Um. miscarriage yeah it was a boy and then she adopted a son and the boy lived for about a month and then died and i presume at that time it's probably like crib death or something like that who knows this was back in the 50s and 60s Uh, and then she later adopted me from another family and so i can relate a lot to the concept of sharing love and It's interesting because people that really want to adopt, they are genuine with what they are wanting to do. The intentions are stated, but of course a little bit different in your case. But having said that, I truly understand and appreciate the concept from where you guys are coming from in terms of, hey, let's do something special here. And then in reading Mm -hmm. your book also, I realized that there's a lot more things that are involved in surrogacy and adoption, especially for the gay community. I look at it that if someone is able to afford and can give a child all that he or she needs to succeed in life, to me, that qualifies. That's a major mm-hmm, yeah. qualification yeah. In, in terms of moving forward. And, of course, we are living in a world of a very structured sort of a way, and I understand that as well from the flip side of the equation. It's an eye-opener in terms of the difficulty of really actually wanting to adopt someone for the family. Yeah. Right. Did you both have some requirements for Erica and Liz?
2: You know, Johnny, it's just like what you just said just now. Um, our only requirement was that they, they had such a strong desire to have a baby. I mean, they had been trying for so long. They're, I mean, they, they were crying when they were telling us. And,
0: yeah.
2: And that they could provide and give this child everything that that child would need to have an exceptional life. And that was real, really our only requirement. mm Right. We just wanted to make sure that the baby was going to be loved, that it was going to have a a good life. And being that, you know, we had known these people, we were confident. I felt confident in them.
1: You've known Erica for a while, so that Mm -hmm. makes it a little bit more comfortable in so many ways.
2: Right, most of her life.
1: What personal and family adjustments did you two have to make to accommodate this new endeavor?
2: Well, first of all, of course, we had to tell our family. We had to tell our kids you know, hey, we're going to be growing a baby for our friends, but it's not really ours. And, you know, it was it an was interesting concept, I think, for the kids. They didn't really quite understand it. At first they were like, well, mm-hmm. is it going to be our sister? And we're like, well, she's k-
1: kind of
2: technically. But, not te- technically, but not really. You know, we're we're making the baby for, for our friends. Um, and then, of course, explaining to my parents as well um, yeah. that, you know, I'm going to get pregnant and you're going to have a grandchild out in the world that's not really your grandchild. You know, it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it really is, though, because we need to make something clear is that um, we used Andrea's eggs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Delaney is biologically Andrea's child. We, we were trying to right. help our friends save money.
1: Right. And eggs would right.
2: cost them $5,000. So we we're trying to help them save money.
1: Right, right. Very interesting. When did you discover that the baby is not going to be normal? Well,
2: she is normal. What we say in the Down syndrome community is mm-hmm. uh, not typical, but she's mm-hmm. normal. And if you meet her, you're going to know she's, that was one normal kid. But, uh, but yes, uh, we found out at an ultrasound. It's a 12-week ultrasound that they offer to look for abnormalities um, mm-hmm. But when the doctor recommended that for us, of course, we thought, oh, there's no way that this baby could have abnormalities. It took us mm-hmm. seven long months just to even get pregnant and all that right. we had
0: been through. We
2: didn't think that we've, we've already been through trials and tribulations trying to get pregnant. So we didn't think anything else could it would possibly come up now. Sure. Right. Sure. And the fact that I had, you know, two healthy right. pregnancies right. before that, we had no reason to believe that there would be anything Wrong, uh, but we did want to take that opportunity to see the baby up close and personal on a really detailed ultrasound. Um, so That's all we wanted. We were like, "Wow, we get to see Peanut!" Of we're, course, we're going to go, <laughs> right. and we didn't even think any something being wrong was like we weren't even. Yeah, guessing it wasn't it true. right. It
0: just yeah. So we're at the
2: ultrasound, and the yeah. ultrasound tech, you know, is is showing us the baby, and we're all just the baby's beautiful she's got a great personality really long legs everybody's joking about a right. basketball player that's growing in my stomach and everybody's mm-hmm. just so happy the girls are crying cuz they're so happy and then the ultrasound tech leaves and the doctor comes in and the yeah. whole tone is totally changed he was very he was a, a pretty mean guy he was very yep. blunt and honestly, like the first thing he asked us is, what is your level of education? Because I need to know how I can talk to you. Wow. Um, and yeah. Luckily, we're all college-educated women. And so we. Yeah. He, he told us, well, you know, there's something wrong with the baby. It likely has Down syndrome. Probably mm-hmm. it's worse. Yeah. The baby has a heart defect. And then just started listing off all these complications sure. that can happen. Sure. And... Um, offered to perform the termination right then and there and it's funny yeah. they say it so casually like they're gonna book you a reservation at the hotel.
0: Right. It's like, oh right, yeah right.
2: I can fill that for you right now. Like it's not a big deal. And we kind of were all just in shock and like, right. wow, wait, let's just first get a, a definitive diagnosis. You're just telling us it's probably Down syndrome. Let's let's figure this out for sure before we go making any rash decisions. So we decided to do um, CVS, which is like Mm -hmm. an amniocentesis. They take a a biopsy from the placenta. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did this test, and we had to wait three long days to get the test results. Yeah. And and, and during that time, I mean, as you read the book, you're going to realize that I had a big phobia of this (laughs) test Of, yeah. of people with Down syndrome, because, you yeah. know, back, Johnny, when I was young, they were still institutionalized. I didn't see them, and right. when I did
0: see them, right.
2: They, right. Were, they were not given the chance to thrive. They were basically right. born in institutions, and when I, when I saw them, they were terrifying to me. Right. So when right. we got this diagnosis, here we've gone through so much, and when you read the book, you're going to laugh and you're going to cry about True. all the crazy things we went through. Yeah. to make this baby, and then we get this diagnosis.
0: Right. I was, right. Just,
2: I was just like, what?
0: <laughs>
2: so we went through that, that three days when we were waiting for the, the test results. Um, I was in denial, and I was trying to convince sure. myself that the doctors were wrong, and I mm-hmm. did. I was successful. I came in and I told Andrea, this mm-hmm. baby does not have Down syndrome. It's just got a mm-hmm. heart problem, and it's sick, and now we need to love it so that it can thrive. Sure. Because up until right, we have not loved that baby. Right. Mm. Because I, you know, because I'm making this baby for another couple, I kept myself emotionally detached. That's but right. But now we know that this baby is is sick and has something, you know, wrong with it. At least this is what the doctors have told us. Right. And we felt like, oh my gosh, maybe this baby just needs to feel love. If this baby can feel love, maybe that will fix everything and make it better. Right. And, and, and we loved her. So we, we let our love in, and, and we fell in love with her.
1: In the book, you talk about the nature of the contract, and it's a business transaction. And it's got right. all the bells and whistles of a business transaction. That's it. So it's a thing, basically. What started out as a thing slowly yeah. evolved into something more than that because that's where the natural nurturing instincts of you two ladies being mothers before kicked in. And the nature of love just starts to flow in, in understanding. And of course, the whole process to this point, it took a while. You ladies were very conscientious about the expenses that were really been incurred by the eventual parents. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. can see the transition being very difficult in many ways. And then something happened within yourself that you realized that, wait a minute now, it's not a thing anymore. It's not a an it It is an actual person, a human being, that you ladies have to make a decision on.
2: Right. That's exactly what it was. It wasn't a hypothetical life anymore.
0: Right, right.
2: Part of our our passion now is that (laughs) almost every surrogacy contract that you sign is going to have a clause saying, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. what if there's something that medical reasons, there's something that makes the intended parents want you to terminate. And hypothetically, sure. a, a surrogate's going to go, "Oh, okay, I can do that." Yeah. But that's hypothetical, yeah. and that clause should not ever be in any yeah. contract. Yeah. Because a mom uh, with the life going inside of her, and it's real, it's not hypothetical. She may feel very differently.
1: Right. And it's right. it's
2: wrong to even have that in the contract.
1: Yeah. The flip side, with all due respect, when you talk about contractual situation here from a surrogacy standpoint of view, it's, it's a tough choice. It is a tough choice. And in your case, of course, it is your egg, and you have parental rights. No question right. about it. The good news, of course, the legal ramification obviously eventually got taken care of, but I know that played a big role in your situation as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, you know, it was just an un- unneeded stress. Yeah, when yeah. You know, a- a- Andrea. As you know, I mean, she was so just devastated when we got this diagnosis. She, I mean, she felt God was punishing her. Later, we realized that God was absolutely giving her a beautiful gift. But yeah. um, and when we told the, the parents, the doctors were successful in terrifying the intended parents, and they they let us know that they did not want the baby. They wanted they wanted us to terminate.
0: Right. And it,
2: they told us it was their decision and their decision alone. And basically asked us to butt out. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, actually, honey, no, it's not. Your decision is whether you want to keep this baby, but it's not whether you want to terminate this baby. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that they're like, well, you, you legally signed a contract that you would terminate if we asked you to. Mm-hmm. And we, they, they briefly threatened, and it was very brief. I think it was maybe two days that was out there. Mm-hmm. But um, they said, well, you're, you're facing a lawsuit if you don't terminate, and I, which was a stress that Andrea did not need at the time. But right. we did some legal counsel and we were told that, you know, because the baby was biologically related to me, that there right. you know, basically no judge is gonna force me to terminate my own child and Precisely. you know, yeah. they that they could try to sue you and spend you know, waste their money and stuff, but it's really not
0: gonna go anywhere. So
2: that helps relieve the stress
0: a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now both of you have taken ownership of the baby. Mm -hmm. What convinced you that early intervention could make a difference in Delaney?
2: You know, we had done so much research. And in doing our research, I had stumbled across blogs and videos and um, even studies done with supplements. Cornell. uh, Through Cornell, they had done a a study on mice with Down Mm -hmm. syndrome and mice that were given choline uh, it dramatically reduced the cognitive delays. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it's, it's worth Warmly. a shot. You know, it's something that you can, it's a vitamin that you can get from food, from eating yeah. food, and they recommend choline for pregnant women anyway. Yeah. So to me, it's like, why wouldn't I do that? So I started taking supplements, and we enrolled Delaney in therapies. and Before she was even born.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And
2: so we had a plan of action before she was born on how we were going to help her thrive and how we could best support her so that she could live up to her
1: full potential. That's what I like about what you ladies were doing, because you were basically doing this while the child was basically in the fetus stage and you right. were interjecting all these things in some ways. And I say this respectfully, you guys were doing your own little experiments. and say, Hey, we got nothing to lose. I mean, Right. You don't want to go through the process and say, well, if only I've done that, then it could have been a different outcome, so right. to speak. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, that was very courageous of you all to do that.
2: Choline, choline is a supplement. It's, not, it's harmless. So we thought, we, well, sure. it's not going to hurt. Yeah. So yeah. And we, we think it's paid off in space.
1: Yeah. And, well, other things that you've done, I mean, you talk about talking to the baby and singing and those kind of things, and I think it's a different way of, of approaching what you did and so forth. So I thought that was very interesting. And of course, the was born with a heart condition that was corrected afterwards. You ladies were expecting that anyway, and the good news is that we were. it was easily corrected in some ways.
2: Yes. We were prepared.
1: How challenging of this whole process for both of you, and especially for you, Keston, in terms of, like you were talking about, been there, I've raised two kids, now I've got my partner, I've got the two kids, and then now all of a sudden, oh my gosh, (laughs) supposedly with all these challenges. So how's that in terms of your mindset? How does that go?
2: It was crazy. But, you know, getting with Andre in the first place with two young children was not in my plan. You know, Mm -hmm. they say that God laughs at you when you have plans. (laughs) And gosh, sure laughed at me because I thought, you know, I, I was, you know, in my late 40s and I was going to go to lesbian pool parties and golf tournaments and <laughs> I was going to have fun now. Yeah. I was yeah. saving my kids. But then I met this beautiful woman and w- w- as a family, we just really clicked. But I yeah. certainly did not want to start over, particularly with a child uh, with a disability that terrified me. Right, right. But so, so it was definitely challenging. But, you know, something... Something strange, when you know you're supposed to do something, and you're, like, I always say that, you know, I was, I was kind of a selfish person, and, and I, you know, I, I had this discrimination against people with Down syndrome. I, they would come in a store, and I would walk the other way and look the other way, and luckily, a higher power believed in me, and because we, I realized that, you know, I loved this baby, and I was going to fight for this baby, and... I just never looked back. I don't even know how to describe it. I I never doubted my decision. And even to this day, I don't ever, I mean, I never look back. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm glad that God changed my plans and he believed in me.
1: Andrea, during these challenging times, what really helped you two to really help you Uh, guys together?
2: Definitely, definitely our love for one Mm -hmm. another. Like I was saying earlier, you know, we always are there to support each other. And, you know, if if I was having a day where maybe I was struggling with things emotionally, you know, Kessim would come and and make me feel like, you know what, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And vice versa. You know, there was a couple times where we kind of were like, wow, what are we doing? Or you start freaking freaking out about, you know, where's Right, all your fears start creeping in. What if we were being too optimistic? What if, you know, what if she does have all these things that the doctor said she would have? You start really second-guessing yourself. Yes. Um, and, but, but really our, our love for each other and our love for Delaney really is what helped push us through and, and keep us close and together. She gave us signals during pregnancy, Delaney did, that she mm-hmm. was going to be okay. And I don't even know how to describe it. She she never let us down, ever, even in during pregnancy. Like when the Mm -hmm. doctor said that she was going to to have a big deformity on the back of her head. Yeah. We studied all about that. And then in the very next ultrasound, we knew that she probably would not have that deformity on the back of her head. And we went into the ultrasound, and the doctor didn't even have to say anything because we saw that it was gone. Mm -hmm. And she did not have that deformity. And she just... From the minute we said that we're going to keep her and save her, she never let us down. It was as if she always knew that we were her parents.
1: Keston, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in writing your book, you mentioned a lot about your mom. And as I mentioned to you before we got on the air, on how I could relate to the relationship that you had with your mom and the final hours and days that you had spent together with her. One of the things that I gather from you, by nature as a person in your writings you have a special way of understanding the meaning of life and I think that in the process with Delaney as well as Andrea you made a very strong commitment in terms of a paradigm shift about the meaning of life and going through and adjusting your personal life to make things happen so tell us a little bit about that about how you have I guess arrived at this point in your life because you have used the word an old soul for your son, but perhaps you yourself has the old soul in you.
2: Gosh, maybe. I, I think <laughs> that I have an old soul, but um I, I knew I know that I also I think this is part of my transitioning mm-hmm. if you're you know, if you believe in past lives and, and growing in each mm-hmm. life, but I think While I think I have an old soul, I also think I had a young soul um, because of my fear of disabled people, and which was really, I mean, I'm ashamed to say how I was. I really am, Johnny. Mm -hmm. But in the transition of, you know, understanding, Delaney taught us this. Delaney showed us the true meaning of life. Um, Just by being, just by this whole situation of her, Fighting and her overcoming all these obstacles during pregnancy because mm-hmm. her biggest obstacle and her, the biggest threat to Delaney's life, I realized, was discrimination. Nine out of ten babies like her that are diagnosed are supposedly terminated.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And it just it, it enlightened me. And, and it's, I, I, gosh, I don't know if, if God or who, whoever, if you believe in any higher powers, we're, we're kind of... Um, we're open, but we we don't yeah. we don't say we're Christian or Buddhist or anything. But
0: yeah, we believe yeah, yeah.
2: in a higher power for sure. And that higher power gave us this story. It gave us Delaney, mm-hmm. and showed us that life life has a lot of cruelty in it. And and there's something we can all do. You mm-hmm. know, we're all talking about anti-gay marriage or anti-this and anti-that mm-hmm. and Mm -hmm. All the bullying that goes on in schools. And, you know, we can be better people, Mm -hmm. all of us. We can Mm -hmm. teach our children to be better people. And Delaney taught us that. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. all Delaney, Johnny.
1: You have sort of, over the period of time, during what? You have experience in life. To me, you have sort of evolved in your way of thinking. And I know you're hard on yourself like you were talking about in terms of in the past that you've dealt with people with Down syndrome or maybe people with special needs, for example. And I have the same experience in the sense that I like to think this way because I know myself personally. My first experience with special needs people was in the Special Olympics that was held at LSU years ago in the 80s my concern was like, I don't want to offend these people. And I use the word these people here in this particular case just to explain my thought back then. Because it's not that I'm afraid of them, but I was in a situation where I don't want to do any subtle move that would upset them, thinking that they don't have the cognitive ability to process thought process. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're naive sure. on our own way. To my delight, I found out that you know what? I'd rather be with them than with us <laughs> because uh, they are genuine. It's so funny and I say this all the time because I find that they are very genuine. When they say they love it, and ladies, you can relate to this. If somebody says, oh, I love the dress you wear, and you're wondering mm-hmm. whether is it true or is she just saying something you know, <laughs> to make me feel good, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, because we have this thing, not necessarily politically correct, but it's just this, you know, like, are we saying it because we want to make sure, because we have this thinking thought process versus someone that Very is true. just plain genuine. I mean, just telling you, mm-hmm. oh, I love that. I mean, you can see it's <laughs> yeah, real. It's true. Yeah, it's from the heart. So that's the uniqueness I came to the understanding. And with due respect, like I said, and I think that what your mom went through, other people, like I said, because if it's not like us, then they're abnormal. For, right. It's, I'm trying to cast a very white gnat here, but I'm just saying that from that perspective that I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt because we're always afraid of what we don't know and don't understand. And that's, that's very the true. Yeah, so that's the uniqueness. You know, all our lives in all actuality is governed by two separate but equal forces, love or fear.
0: Mm-hmm. And, very true.
1: Yeah, so if we let love lead us, then we would think differently. On the other hand, if we allow fear to lead us, then we think differently. That's different extremely
2: context. insightful and true. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's a little bit different. And Andrea, from your end, I think by nature in reading the book, you are that lovable person. And not that you're not, Cass, don't get me wrong when I say this. Oh, Either. no, she's lovable. And then it's interesting right. because Caston that you've lived. I mean, you obviously live life, and you got an old soul and whatnot, and so forth. So this is the real world in some ways. And so I think the union that you ladies have really complement each other very well.
0: Thank you. We do. We think so too. <laughs> we do.
1: Why did you decide to write the book?
2: Because because of my past discrimination and how I felt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you would read in the news about how kids with Down syndrome are getting kicked off of planes or getting kicked out of restaurants. And, mm-hmm. you know, my the, the discrimination against people with Down syndrome is quiet and subtle, but it exists. Mm-hmm. I can tell you because I discriminated. And there mm-hmm. were a lot of people that are like the person that I was. And, you know, Delaney's story is not an LGBT story. It's not a Down syndrome right. story. It is a human interest story, and what—that's right. Delaney made me a better person, mm-hmm. and she does every day. And we were hoping, you know, by sharing her story—if you know—if you, if you put your head in the sand and you say, "I don't want to," I don't want to tell people our story. You're not helping society. And yeah. I raise my kids to be members of society, and um, like we—we go out we and give socks to the homeless, and toothpaste to the homeless, and candy and. We just, we can all be better people, and Delaney mm. taught me that. And Delaney, what we went through taught me that. And I feel like by sharing her story, that people can take away with it something, regardless if you're LGBT or if you have somebody, you know somebody with Down syndrome.
0: Right, right. Maybe
2: you can take away something in your heart, a human interest in your heart, that can touch you and make you understand yourself a little bit better. And
1: we, we just felt that it was a powerful story. I agree. When I read the book, it was very interesting enough to understand. And I've talked to some people that have contacted me about the book. And it's a human story. And I say this respectfully. It's got nothing to do with the LGBT community or Down syndrome in a sense. Because in the end, the core, the very core, the message in the book is about the nature of love, the meaning of life.
0: It
2: is, absolutely. I'm, and I'm, that's the I'm glad thing. you said that.
1: Mm-hmm. How is Delaney today?
2: Delaney is amazing. She's uh, two and a half years old. She's on target developmentally with, uh, you know, other kids that are her same age that do not have her disability. She mm-hmm. sings and dances and talks and runs and jumps and plays. role cool. plays. Uh, you know, she's um, extremely, extremely smart. She, she manipulates, just like any other two-year-old. <laughs> she, yeah, extremely mischievous. She'll you she to look over there so she can get something to mischief. Yeah, <laughs> she's, uh, like we said, the ladies never let us down. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. And not that if she was slow, that she would let us down, because we love her and with Down syndrome. If she was slower, God, we would be A-OK with that. We don't have any problems with that. But the yeah. fact that, all of our intervention has paid off we hope that other people see that there are things you can do too you don't have to terminate this
1: life sure i understand that brings me to the question please tell us about the delaney odd foundation
2: well, the delaney odd foundation we're actually in our in the beginnings of it we're, we are hoping that the book kicks it off to be honest with mm-hmm. you because mm-hmm. there's two things we want to do first of all we want to uh, hopefully affect the legislature when doctors give a diagnosis, a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. We think it's really important that they give a fair and balanced diagnosis, not just you should terminate, you should terminate, you should terminate, and if you don't terminate, you need to know that your insurance might not take care of it, that your baby might be blind. And I mean, there, there's, there's two sides to every story. We knew from our research that the doctors were exaggerating. But other parents might not know that. And we think that legislature has to show that doctors should be legally required to give fair and balanced education, not just Mm -hmm. doom and gloom, doom and gloom, terminate, terminate. Mm -hmm. And then also the early intervention that we started, we're we're actually, we're we're a poor family, but we managed to squeeze out $200 a month for Mm Delaney supplements Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And Because it's not covered by insurance. Her her D, which is another supplement that we give her similar to choline now that she's Mm -hmm. born, Um, there are a lot of poor families out there that can't afford it. And we want the Delaney Ottdahl Foundation to be able to provide those supplements to low-income families Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the Delaney Ottdahl
1: Foundation. I see. Where can someone go to buy the book, get more information about you two, and keep up with the latest happenings with Delaney?
2: Well, if you want to keep up with Delaney, she has uh, – if you look up Delaney Sky Ott Doll on Facebook, we pretty much chronicle a day in, in a life with Delaney. We show how advanced she is and how – she has almost 10,000 very loyal fans that follow her every day, and they just they just love her because she will make you smile every day. She is a true, real-life hero. Um, but Delaney Dahl found, uh, Foundation, you can get some information, but really, uh, savingdelaney.com is our website savingdelaney.com, and you can buy the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, it's pretty much any, available anywhere that any book is available, and today is our kickoff release day, by the way.
1: Fantastic. So. Wonderful. Congratulations. If you go to Amazon and
2: look Saving on Amazon, you can find it.
1: Tell us a little bit about your project, I know this was started a few years back, about wanting Disney to have a Down Syndrome princess.
2: Well, you know, Johnny, like I said, um, I grew up not uh, unfamiliar with people with Down syndrome in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. I was a Disney kid. I grew up a Disney kid. And it dawned on us our our daughter Jules was singing and dancing, watching Frozen, and all of a sudden she sat down and started to cry and was really sad. And I said, Jules, what is Mm -hmm. wrong? And she said, You know, we can never, Delaney and I can never be like uh, Anna and Elsa. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, of course you can. Sure you can. Delaney can do anything. And she said, no, mommy o there are no princesses in, like Delaney. Mm-hmm. And it, just, it dawned on me, she's right. There's not a lot of representation in children's animated features. And, gosh, if anybody could do it right, it would be Disney. They are, mm-hmm. they are heroes in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And if Disney included characters with Down syndrome or other disabilities, in their children's animated features, we believe that children would grow up without the fear of people like Delaney, and it would, it would, it would stop the future of that discrimination that, ex- that will eventually develop in these kids. Sure. They will be sure. familiar.
0: Yeah.
2: Maybe had I grown up with characters like uh, with Down syndrome in my films when I was a little Disney kid mm-hmm. back in the 1960s and 70s, maybe I wouldn't have been afraid.
1: Right. We can use media as a form of education to the masses. That's what you're really advocating here.
2: Oh, yes. And, you know, we, we got a lot of flack from that because a, a lot of people in the Down syndrome community were like, you guys, who cares about Disney? We need to focus on on laws and, and job equality for our kids. And You yeah. know, we all have our pulpits, and we mm-hmm. all... You know, my, my, if you, I, I follow the Dalai Lama way, um, which is mm-hmm. if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. Right. And we all have our way. This just happened to be something that, because I have kids that we did, and, um, and Disney mm-hmm. responded, hopefully someday they'll, they'll follow through, and I believe in them. So mm-hmm. I'm a Disney fan all the way.
1: <laughs> I Yeah, yeah, Einstein. Well, that's interesting. How about your take on it, Andrea? What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I, I agreed with Keston, and I felt like, wow, what a great opportunity for Disney to educate the masses. They have such a widespread power that they really could be a huge influential force here. They can make a difference, right? That is definitely somebody who could very easily make a difference with some something so small as including a character with a disability.
1: Right, right.
2: She, she was on board. You know, it's funny, Johnny, because we, we, put the, we put the petition up and we're like, wow, what if we get 1,000 signatures? That'd be so cool. Right. We had 1,000 signatures in an hour. And then it was like, That's oh, fantastic. my God, what if we get 10,000 signatures? And we have that in a few days. We to, right. I think we almost have 100,000 signatures right now.
1: That's amazing what you ladies are doing because this is an old statistics but I think according to the health resources and services administration the total of 10.2 million children or about roughly about 14% of the nation's children have special needs. Yeah. And so that's a huge number and if we can Absolutely. educate the public through mass media through Disney in this case and it's not about one way or the other, it's more about information out there. It's putting out good information to make people understand and have a good idea because we are in the information technology age now. And so as Absolutely. we get those information out there, it's only better for the masses.
2: Absolutely. And, and what better way than to, to do that in children's hearts?
1: Correct. Start right. from the before. Um,
2: before they develop that fear. Before they develop the discrimination. Before you know. Mhm. My past life drives me. My past. My yeah. past discrimination, um, which I'm so ashamed of, it drives me.
1: Yeah. Well, again, from the past, it's more about the knowledge that you're not aware of, it puts you in a position. Right. You, yeah. So it's it's not exactly. That's why it's
0: so important yeah.
2: to get the information out there.
1: Right. Again, as I mentioned before, it's fear driven rather than love driven. And so, but Absolutely. you're at the point now, you have shifted to the love driven aspects of your life. How has writing this book impacted both of you personally?
2: Well, for me, growing up being such a private person, it was really hard to say, you know what? Okay you can write about me, you can write about the skeletons in my closet, and I'm going to expose myself for the whole world was very, very hard and scary for me. But, you know, Tessa and I, we keep our eye on the prize, and that basically is, you know, saving families and saving babies and saving lives. And I knew that other people could learn so much from our story that had to just, do it and be okay with it because I want the world to be a better place for Delaney. Mm-hmm.
1: What advice do you all have for families expecting special needs children?
2: To first thing they do, they should do is uh, research, research, research. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to the parents that have been, have paved the way for you because they're a wonderful, wonderful resource for you. Take what take with you what makes sense to you and leave what doesn't make sense to you. But go, go to your local Down syndrome organizations or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. disability it might be and get educated by the people who actually experience that real real life. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. understand, you know, if there are things you can do, try to do those things. Like we, we discovered the colon. We thought, well, that's not going to hurt Delaney. lady. So, and, and Johnny, we think it's paid off in spades. So, get educated. That's what we would say.
1: Wonderful. For
2: me, also, I would say is to just treat them the same. That mm-hmm. is one of the things that I feel really helps Delaney, is that everybody in our family treats her the same. We don't treat her differently because she has a disability. You know, the kids,
0: they right, play with right. her,
2: she plays with them. You know, we have all the same expectations for her that we did for our other kids. You know, we just want to um, show that with lots of love, early intervention, and and just, you know, treating them like they're uh, any other person, I feel really, really has helped Delaney so much.
1: So true. What is the road ahead for you two and Delaney?
2: We're going to keep going. Um, we're the three musketeers. We're actually the, the the 10 musketeers. We have a house of 10 people right now with my mm-hmm. old adult kids and my grandkids. And But uh, we're, we know at the end of the day, it's going to be the three of us, the three musketeers. And mm-hmm. we, um, we want, we're, we encourage Delaney to do anything that she can do. We hope she goes to college. She gets married. Um, she does everything that, that she wants to do. She loves music. If she wants to follow that, we'll have her follow that. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to write another book about raising Delaney and some of the crazy things we've been through in raising her. Mm-hmm. And Jared and I, our, my youngest son, uh, our youngest son, is he and I are writing a book called River Rats, which is a children's book. Mm-hmm. And we're going we're to keep doing our activism, Johnny.
1: Wonderful. That's very interesting. Looking forward to all those wonderful projects that you have in line. By the way, mm-hmm. we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? And since there are two of you, so we would love to have two different recipes for living life.
2: Well, I would say, this is Kathy. Mo I would say is um, follow your heart, and the only thing that you can't do is can't, because you can do anything. You can You can overachieve and... Accomplish Mm -hmm. any goal, obstacle set in your way. Live simple. Live with love. And like I said, if if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. And live your life to be the best person you could possibly be.
1: Wonderful. And how about you, (laughs) Andrew?
2: Well, unfortunately, I'm like they kind of overlap a little bit, um, but mm. we're like one person.
1: <laughs> um, for me,
2: I would I agree with living simply. I think that's something that's really important. We try to teach our kids that it's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about money. You can be yeah. rich in other ways. It's not all about money. And right. also, do what you can for other people. You know, if you see somebody that you can help, why wouldn't you do it? You know, just uh to we try to teach our kids too you know to be compassionate and to be thoughtful of other people and empathetic and um, so i would recommend that for everybody in in living that way we have a very rich fulfilling life absolutely we are very rich
1: well you two ladies certainly have a beautiful heart so that's the most important thing in the end that's the drive, the fuel that drives everything that you do in your life and so what you've done is all heart driven so for that I certainly hope that will continue and God's grace will always be with you too as far as that goes. Ladies, thank you for the wonderful recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning. My guest will be Pauline Middleton. She is a love coach. Pauline and I will be discussing her novel One Woman, Three Men a story about modern love and sex. Pauline actually lived with the three-man model for a period in her own life. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Ladies, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed Thank week. Thank you very you much, John. And Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye.